Most people live, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Some people just feel like, well, there's nothing I can do to change anything. And God's got everything under control. You know, those have just enough truth in them uh, that gets you confused concerning all the falsehood in those statements. God does not have your heart under control. You do. You've got to repent. He doesn't do that for you. Can I get an amen? amen? Therefore, he doesn't have everything under control. He gave us control when he said, I give you authority or dominion over everything in the world, essentially. He told Adam and Eve, I give you dominion over it. And you go take care of the garden. You guard the garden. And how many of you know some bad things happened? Because Adam didn't take control. He didn't live intentionally. He let things happen. A lot of people just let things happen. They slip and slide down the path of least resistance, and then they blame it all on God when it's all said and done. Let me tell you something. There's, there's nothing further from the truth biblically uh, when people live like that. When they abdicate all responsibility to the sovereignty of God who made us in his image with a sovereign will of our own. Can I get an amen? That we need to sovereignly take control over what he told us to take control of and let him have control of what he says he's in control of. How many of you know he's in control of when Jesus comes back? How many of you know he's in control of judgment day? How many of you know he's in control of the millennial reign when that will happen, the eternal state? He's in control of letting uh, the tribulation come and the Antichrist do his things. He's in control of allowing that. He's in control of coming back with his angels and executing judgment. He was in control of sending Jesus who made it available to all of us. But we're in control of our will. We're in control of going out and preaching the gospel to people. We're in control of repenting in our life. We're in control of knowing what the will of the Lord is. Can I get an amen? And being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are certain things that are in his control. There are certain things in our control. And we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul told Timothy, he says, Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Be ashamed because you come up with all kinds of stupid ideas about the scriptures. That needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, a lot of people don't take Christians serious because some of the things they say don't make any sense. Not naturally or biblically. And we need to just think a little bit about what the Word of God says and begin to live our life intentionally. And you know, the children of Israel are a great example. And they were, they were passive and they ended up wandering and they ended up being destroyed and probably, for all we know, they went to hell. Because they would not ingress, they would not obey God, they would not live intentionally. And they lived passively in the wilderness. Now, there were a couple of them, Joshua and Caleb, who lived very intentionally. They very intentionally followed God and, and, and spoke his word, got into agreement, and, and lived out their life in accordance with God's will and his word. And so today, living intentionally, I want to give you four principles of how to, to live with intentionality. You know, just think how much more successful you might be at your job if you were living very intentionally with a plan and with a direction from God. And think how maybe your kids would turn out if you had more intentionality the way you you raise them up, train them up to be what God wants them to be. What about more intentionality in your soul winning? What about more intentionality in your own personal development? What about more intentionality in your job and your career path that you want to take in life. You know, things aren't going to just happen by accident, you know, and we've heard this a million times, and we've all heard it, but it's so true. The definition of his insanity is keep doing the same old thing that you've always done and expect a new uh, result. So you're going to have to do some things different to get some new results. Can I get an amen? And so we have to become intentional and find out maybe the things that aren't working, make some adjustments... And start doing things a little differently and and maybe even explore a little bit to find out what will cause them to start working. You know, it's just like so many things that, uh, you know, whether you're you're trying to get in shape. How many of you know you don't get in shape on the path of least resistance? As a matter of fact, weight training is called resistance training. There has to be a resistance. And you know what? 
to become a strong Christian, you're going to have to experience some resistance training. Because it just doesn't happen by accident. The opposite of intentional is accidental. And we need to live not by accident, but intentional. And we need to chart our course and make our plan and, and plan. You know, it, it is so true that we've got to uh, work our plan and plan our work. And first you plan your work and then you work your plan. And, and, and I heard that, you know, a long time ago. Someone said that. I thought, let me see, work? Ah, plan your work and then work your plan. That makes a lot of sense to me. That makes it really simple. Anybody can remember that. Everybody say it with me. Plan your work and work your plan. That's easy. Anybody can remember that. So step number one of living intention, intentionally is identify your gift and calling. You were put here not by accident. God told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Paul said, I was called before the foundations of the world. How many of you know God has known your name from everlasting to everlasting? How many of you know that your name is written in a book with all the days of your life written in it? How many of you know God is very intentional? He wants you to be intentional. And you aren't just called here to be a blob of flesh wandering around on planet Earth consuming food. Your life has a purpose. You have a call on your life. You have a gift in your life. And your gift will make room for you to do your call. How many of you know the Bible says your gift will make room for you? How many of you know in Romans eleven twenty nine it says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You can't, they can't be rescinded. They're forever. It's already written in forever that you're going to have to do what God says or you're going to pay a big price on Judgment Day. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're not going to be revoked. They're always going to be. So you might as well face up, fess up, and get up and get going with this whole thing that you've got a calling in your life. Somebody say amen. You've been called. You've been called. And you've got a gift. And you need to find out what that gift is. Turn with me to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, uh, and verse 10. You know, identifying your gift and calling is the first thing that we need to do to live intentionally. Because if you don't know who you are and what you are and what your call is, how are you ever going to fulfill it? In other words, who did God make me to be? Turn to your neighbor and say, who did God make you to be? You're somebody in God's kingdom, and you got a somebody, uh, and you've got a plan that goes with that somebody that you are. God is very much, has a predestined plan for us. He doesn't predestine whether our will obeys it or not. You determine that. He has a predestined plan. That's already there. And then you've got to make a decision to follow it. You know, I'll never forget the day when finally I, when, when I had gone off to college and had gotten hurt several times. And I don't know how many times. I can't even tell you how many times I changed my major. I was a, I was a uh, parks and recreation. I was going to open my own gym and have a bodybuilding gym. And then I was going to be a teacher for a while. And then I took business for a while. And, I, you know, I was, it was just like I, I couldn't decide who I was. You know, they say they're going, people go off to school to look for themselves. Well, you're not going to find it at school. You're going to find it right in here. And you're going to find it right in there. And then I finally I got saved. And, and I was miserable and and I didn't know, and I got born again. And you've all heard the story in the dorm room at University of Northern Iowa, how I got born again. I've shared that story many, many times. And I left school, went back to junior college, kind of started with a clean slate, got all my general ed out of the way, and then knew I was supposed to go to ORU. And then I knew I was supposed to go to Rama. And while I was at ORU, I can remember thinking, I like all these guys in the theology department. It seems like I always find myself talking to them about the Bible, and I'm not really interested in going on in business. I'm not really interested in going on in education. I'm not really interested in opening a gym or, or doing something like that. What I'm interested in is talking theology all the time with these guys. And finally, one of my friends came up to me and says, when are you just going to admit it? You're called to go into the ministry. I was like, you know, you're right. Now I know who I am. Until you know who you are, what your gifting is and your calling is, you're going to stumble bum through life for 50, 60, 70 years. 
And let me tell you something, you're going to have to answer for that one day. And you need to know who you are. And you need to know what your gifts are. And you need to know what God is expecting you to do with your gift. That's called your calling. Somebody say amen. Amen. What he's expecting you to do with your gift is your calling. Did you know the word calling and the word vocation? Vocation is just the Latin word for calling. Well, this is my vocation. I'm going to vocational school. Well, my vocation is I'm a, I'm a bricklayer. I, my vocation is, you know, I work down here at Clow and, and I weld all day long. And, and my vocation is this, I'm a doctor. Or my vocation is this, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. And, but, but the Bible, that, that's an invented word that, that we don't realize that that word means you're calling. Everybody say calling. It's what God's called you to do. And calling, when you look up that word, you'll find out it means invitation. He's called you. He's invited you to come and be blessed by this plan that he has for your life. But look at what it says there, and I'm going to read there. And first, if you're not already there, I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway. But 1 Peter 4 and 10. And every man has received the gift. Even so, minister the same. That's the call, the gift, and then the call is to minister it. And every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards. You're a steward over it. That means you're going to give an answer for it. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And it's only by grace that you have that gift to do that calling that you're a steward and will answer for is all by grace. In other words, you don't have to work it up. If you'll just investigate it, it'll just work. I'll tell you the easiest thing in the world for me is some, I, I don't have to try to memorize scriptures a lot of times. I can do it by accident. I can read large amounts of theological writings and I, and I can get it all and retain it all and it's easy for me. I used to be scared to get up and, and talk in front of people because I'd never done it before, but to get up and speak is easy for me. How many of you know that you got to be graced for what you do? Yes. And, and that's not easy for some. At first, it wasn't easy just because I was scared and I'd never done it, and I was working my way into my call. But let me tell you something. After you start doing it, it becomes, it's, a, it's by grace. Turn your neighbor and say, it's by grace. See, your gifting is by grace. So then you do your calling by grace. Amen. God created you for that. And it will be the blessing of your life. You know, in, in the Bible, we can see every man has been given this gift. We're, we're going to be held accountable because that's what a steward is. He's doing it for somebody else, and he, get, and he gives an account. Every one of us have one, but you say, well, yeah, but you're a preacher, Pastor. But, what, what, but you know, how many of you know that there's five different types of preachers? There's fivefold ministry gifts, and it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Then we got, over in Romans 12, we got the motivational gifts. You got the ministry gifts, then you got the motivational gifts. And, and, and that's, that's giving and prophecy and teaching, administration, and, and a lot of other things. There's about seven of those. And so there's five gifts for those who are called into full-time ministry. There's seven giftings for people who are lay people. It gives qualifications over there for those who are elders and those who are deacons. Elders are five-fold ministry gifts or elders, and then deacons are lay people. And you can see that those things are given to us. But let me tell you something. A lot of people are aimless in life. And I'm going to tell you why right now. Listen real carefully. Because they do not have the hope of their calling. Ephesians, the apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding, the devil tries to keep it hidden from us. The devil kept it hidden from me. When I was a little boy, my grandmother said he's going to be a minister someday. When I was a little kid, I, I could see myself in front of large groups of people and speaking and leading leading people and speaking to people. I remember when I was a little kid, I always used to think about that. I didn't know why or what it was or anything. I just remember thinking, that's what I want to do. Didn't have any rhyme or reason. Because when you're little, you, ha- you aren't intellectually developed enough to know exactly what all that means. But I remember as a child thinking that way. I, I, I didn't see myself farming with my dad. I didn't see myself being a uh, fireman. I didn't see myself doing things. But I, I remember seeing myself in front of people and speaking to them and leading them. And then when I got a little bit older, that scared me because in school I got up and spoke a few times and it was like, wow, that's kind of scary. But it's just because I hadn't exercised my gift. 
But Paul says, and go ahead, let's turn there. Let, this is a scripture. We, you ought to mark this scripture in your Bible. I mean, I've got it memorized, but let's just go there. Let's look at that scripture. Let's get a grip on this thing. This is a powerful, powerful truth that people need to understand. Paul prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be open. How many of you know if our gospel will be hid? It's hid to them, to the lost, whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil goes around and he blinds our minds. And Paul prayed against that. Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. His calling to you, his, his invitation to you to do what he designed you, gifted you to do, which is your call, which is your vocation. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what his riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, a lot of people say, well, all right, so... I, you know, that calling there, it kind of means born again too. But, you know, being saved is more than just being born again. He wants to save your whole life, its purpose. He wants to save the call on your life. And when you get born again, your calling gets saved. Otherwise, when you don't get born again, your calling gets wasted. Yes. And your gift gets wasted. So when you get born again, not only does your eternal spirit get saved, but your life and it's calling on your life, also get saved. Can I get an amen, somebody? I mean, you, God saves a lot of things. He saves our body. We get a brand new glorified body. He saves our mind from thinking like crazy people and driving your own self nuts, and it gives you a renewed mind. He saves your eternal spirit, and you're born again, new creation. But he also saves your life here on earth and the calling that he has for you because that's a precious thing. See, and how, how do we identify and know the hope of our calling. And, you know, Paul prayed, let them know what they're called to do. Let them know what their gift is. God, open their eyes. They don't even know that they've got a gift. They don't even know that they've got a calling. They don't even know they're going to answer for this one day. Open their eyes to it. And lay people, there's so many things and gifts that you can have that you can operate in. Some of you may be called to the fivefold ministry and be preachers. But all these things, and how would we know the hope of our calling? How many of you know the word hope, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is basically the same word as desire. Did you know Paul, Paul talked about desire a lot? Jesus talked about desire a lot. You go back in the Old Testament, it talks about desire. Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, if you believe that receive it, you'll have it. In Psalms 37, 4, it says that he will give you the desires of your heart. Everybody say, desires of my heart. See, the desires of your heart is connected to the hope of your calling. See, everybody say, desire is hope. When you desire something, you hope for it. And he said he'll give you the desires of your heart. Everybody say, my heart. And Paul prayed that we would know the hope or the desires of our calling. And our calling comes from our heart. It doesn't come from our head. Paul said, I, I would like to come unto you and impart a spiritual gift to you. See, your calling will be only recognized through your heart. See, when I was in school and going to you and I, and I was changing my major two or three times, I was operating out of my head. But when my buddy says, don't you know you're called to preach? Don't you know God? Then immediately it bore witness in my heart. How many of you know if you're led around by your head, you're not going to get very far in life? I mean, you can do wonderful things with your head. You can do engineering, you can do mathematics, you can do wonderful things. But it isn't going to give you your life's direction and your call and what you're going to answer to God for. So whoopee-doo, big deal. The deep and profound and eternal things will be found in your heart. And that's where you have to look to. And your calling will be found by listening to your heart. And it says, be not drunk whereas in excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And before that it says that 
and, and, and be filled with spirit and know what the will of the Lord is. You'll know what the will of the Lord is when your spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit and you start realizing that there's a real person on the inside of you that can guide you. And that's the Holy Spirit who lives inside your spirit. I believe this. I desired, when I was young, I desired to speak and to lead, and I was afraid and uncomfortable with that because my flesh controlled me. Before I was saved and right after I got saved, I didn't know how to be filled with the Spirit. I didn't know how to be led by the Spirit. I didn't know how to live in the Spirit, and I was still in my flesh, and, and getting up in front of people scared me, and, and even though I wanted to do it, but how many have ever felt conflicted before? Paul says there's a part of me, you know, the inward man wants to do one thing and the outward man wants to do another thing and I see two different laws, the one in my heart and the one that's in the members of my body and the things I don't want to do, I do and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Huh. The things I want to do, I don't do. See that, I can relate to that. I can remember the things that I wanted to do, I was afraid to do. Because my flesh ruled me. But something happens when you start developing your spirit. It rises up on your flesh and says, excuse me, but I'm going to be the boss now. You get built up in the inward man. You get strengthened in the inward man. You begin to dominate from the inward man. And all of a sudden, the flesh is the guy that starts getting kicked around instead of your flesh kicking your spirit around. When that happens, you'll begin knowing what you're supposed to do. You'll begin to be controlled by your spirit. You'll begin to know the hope of your call. You know, everything that, would, I don't care what you're called to, there's a hope and a desire to it. When you start realizing what you were made for and you start doing it, it creates a hope and a desire. If you don't have any understanding of what you're called to do, you're going to be a miserable person. Because you don't have anything to look forward to. You don't, ha- look, you don't have anything that you need to work at. You don't have anything that you need to make yourself better at. You don't have anything that you can see a, a, a career path. You don't, see, you don't have any way of knowing uh, where you're going in life. You, you aren't going to get better. You're not going to be able to, to... And you know, the Bible says your gift will make room for you. And your gifting will cause you... I, I believe this. If you do anything well, I don't care if it's preaching. I don't care if it's working and welding. I don't care. If you do it well, you can become very well off doing it. It's the indecisiveness and the lack of focus and the non-intentionality of life that robs you and makes you into a pauper. But when you get decided once and for all, and you get committed once and for all, and you get direction once and for all, and you can put your for all in forever, and you can work at it hard, and you can set your goals in that direction, and you can begin to climb that ladder, and you, all of a sudden there's a hope to your calling. There's a hope in your vocation. There's a desire to do this and do it right and be the best I can be and go after it, and all of a sudden things start getting better and better, and then you start getting goals and you start getting aspirations, you start getting inspiration, you start getting excited about it, because I don't care if it's playing football, I don't care if it's preaching, I don't care if it's playing tiddlywinks, if you're the best there is, it gets you excited. It's not always so much what you do, it's how well you do it, is what's inspiring and gives you hope in your calling. And the better you get, the further you can go, the further you can go, the more they will pay, and the greater your life is going to become. And you're going to see things, and there's going to be a hope to your vocation. You can, you can say vocation or calling, they're, they're the same thing. I remember when I was a little boy, I can remember thinking, I remember watching after JFK got assassinated. I was watching Captain Kangaroo, and all of a sudden Walter Cronkite comes on, and all the news stations come on, and, and there's all this flash report, and the President of the United States has been shot, and all about the assassination. I remember all that as a little kid, and all the pictures they would show John Kennedy speaking and, and all these different things. I remember, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be like that someday. I'm going to get up in front of people, I'm going to speak, and I'm going to lead them. It's a little tiny boy. How many you know sometimes you know what you're going to do better when you're little than when you get convoluted in your head and you go through high school? In college. And, you know, sometimes it takes somebody with a PhD to get you confused. Somebody with some permanent heart damage. But let me tell you something. That was a desire in my heart ever since I was little. 
And it almost got stolen away from me, and I almost completely walked away from it. Go back to what God shows you. So number one, you need to identify your, your calling and your gift and your calling. Number two, you need to qualify or sanctify your gift and your calling. Because there's a lot of people that says, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean, Pastor Bill? Many are called, but few are chosen. The more I've studied that scripture and the more commentaries I've read upon it, the more I understand the original language, it's come very clear to me that what that really means is this. That many are called, but few qualify themselves to be chosen to actually do it. There's all kinds of people who never walk a day in their calling. It's the saddest thing in the world. And if they're saved, yes, they'll go to heaven, but they'll have no rewards that could have been. And I want my, my rank in heaven means a lot more than my rank here on earth, because that's forever. And this is for maybe 80, 90 years, whatever you live to be. And as I look at that, in Exodus 18.21, we can see there was all kinds of qualifications. I gave civil servants, had qualifications. Choose you out from among you. You've heard me say this a million times. Able men who are men of truth, who fear God and hate bribery. We can go to 1 Timothy and qualifications for preachers. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he must be the husband of one wife, not a brawler, not a drinker, not a lover of filthy lucre, and the list goes on. Knowing how, if he knows not how to rule his own house, how can he rule the house of God? Then it goes down to the deacons, the lay people who serve and hold offices in the church. And it talks about, and the deacons must also be the husband of one wife, must also be not a drinker and not a brawler. And it says, and let him be proved, the deacons. And they that are proved, purchased of themselves a great degree in the faith. And it talks about all these qualifications. And many are called and few are actually chosen. And how do you qualify yourself in 2 Timothy 3 and 20 and 21, it says that there are many vessels in a great house. Some are wood and clay, and some are silver and gold. And it says, and let them purge themselves. Everybody say purge themselves. Of lust. Because it later talks about youthful lust. Let them purge themselves. Purify themselves, it says in 1 Peter purge yourself, and make yourself meet for the master's service. And you think, meet? What does that mean? That's old King James. You go over into modern translation, you look it up in the original. It clearly means make yourself. You purge yourself and make yourself qualified for the master's use to make you into a vessel of silver and gold instead of wood and clay. So how do we qualify once we find out our gift? You say, well, I think I know my gift, Pastor Bill. And I think I even know my calling. Well, that's only the first step. You're going to have to qualify it. You qualify it by purging yourself. You know, just because I've got a divine call to be a preacher doesn't mean God's ever going to use me. You have to qualify yourself. A lot of people are called, well, I'm called, brother, I'm called, and... Yeah, but have you fulfilled 1 Peter 3? Well, I'm called to be a deacon in the church, but have you, have you fulfilled 1 Peter 3? Maybe you're not perfect, but you're endeavoring to fulfill that and walk in that. See, you can be called, but you've got to qualify yourself. That's what the Bible says. And how do we qualify ourselves? We need to be purged. How many of you know that Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, woe is me. I mean, Isaiah had to know he was called, right? I mean, he's one of the major prophets of Israel. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, I've got, I've got issues. Some of those maybe four-letter words or whatever still slip out of my mouth every once in a while when I get angry. I don't know what he was saying by unclean lips. He says, I live among a people of unclean lips. I don't know what exactly that meant, but he obviously had some problem with his mouth. And that's one of the number one temptations with the preacher. Either you're going to have a good mouth and, you get, and, if you, and if you don't get it sanctified and you get saved, you'll usually have a really bad mouth. I've noticed that about preachers. 
because they like to express everything through their mouth, good and bad. And I think Isaiah had a bad mouth. And he said, oh, woe is me. I can never be. It's never going to work, God. I, I know I'm called, but how am I ever going to be qualified? And, and, and God shows it to him that it was by grace. And he says he saw a vision of a tongs reaching down into some hot coals. And he pulled the hot coals out and he put it on his mouth. And it says it purged his mouth. He says, here am I, Lord. Send me. You know, before you can say, here am I, Lord. Send me. You've got to get your self-purged and it was his initiative god didn't just do that it wasn't until he recognized he had unclean lips it wasn't until he recognized he lived among unclean people he didn't it didn't happen until he recognized he was called to preach and then he recognized that it was by god's grace when god reached down and took that hot coal out of that out of those coals with that hot tongue and put it on his mouth and it purged away the sin out of his mouth and then god sent him how many of you know you can have the gift and you can identify the gift, but you're going to have to qualify and sanctify the gift as well. Because yes. Isaiah didn't go until that happened. We need to qualify ourselves to, the, to do the work of the Lord. Many are called, but few are chosen. You know, Samson started out as a leader in Israel. But he failed the lust test with, old Bath, with, old, not Bathsheba, uh, with Delilah. I mean, Samson was a, he was a judge in Israel. He, was, he started out a great leader. And then a test came his way, and her name was Delilah, and he fell into lust. And by the time she got done with him and he failed the lust test, he ended up in prison, blinding, binding, and grinding in the prison house of the Philistines. Now we got another person. Joseph started out in a prison, first in a pit, and then the prison at Potiphar's. And then he had a lust test when Potiphar's wife says, why don't you come home and sleep with me? And you know what? He passed the lust test, and he went from being in the prison to a leader in Israel. So you got one who starts out as a leader, fails the lust test, ends up in prison. You got the other one, not, you know, Joseph, he starts out in prison, he passes the lust test, and he ends up a leader in Israel. Somebody say amen. amen. How many of you know both of them were called, but one disqualified himself, and the other one qualified himself to be the leader in Israel? Somebody say amen. amen. It isn't good enough just to be called. You need to get your, well, I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know. Well, because you never qualify. You never get yourself purged out enough to know what you're called to do. You'll never recognize your call if you don't live a certain way. I know many kids that were called in Bible school. I know half the guys I went through theology with, and some of them, I know one guy ended up a crack dealer. ORU theology department ends up a crack dealer. I know one guy went through Ramah, went on later, and had a sex change. And I believe both of them were called. I hope that gets your attention this morning, how far you can get from your calling. First of all, you need to find out and get identified. And then secondly, you need to get qualified. Number three, and then you need to be specified. You need to specify. Identify, qualify, and specify. Well, what does specify mean? Well, let me, let me just tell you something. The children of Israel, they never identified themselves as the, as the children of Abraham, as the children of covenant, as the ones who were like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea that were supposed to bring salvation to the rest of the world. The children of Israel, they never recognized. who They only saw themselves as dirty old slaves wanting out of Egypt, crying out to God to deliver us. And they never really saw themselves as this great and mighty nation called by God to go into all the world and bring the truth of God's redemption to the rest of the world. They just saw them as slaves and they came out. And then they never got qualified. They never got cleaned up. They still always longed for Egypt. They kept looking back to Egypt. They kept talking about Egypt they kept wanting to have the way they had it in Egypt. They didn't, walk, didn't want to walk by faith. They didn't want to follow the leader. They didn't want to do what God said. They didn't want to live holy. They wanted to go back and throw a wild, you know, 
strip party and worship a golden calf. And, and, and if you look into the fine nuances of what the scripture says, uh, they, they were sexually immoral and all kinds of bad things that they kept wanting to fall back into. They never did qualify themselves to go forward and be what God wanted them to be. And they didn't live intentionally. They just lived by their feelings and wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. So you've got to identify who you are. I'm somebody. You've got to identify, I have a gift. You've got to identify, I have a calling. And then you've got to qualify that gift and that calling by purging yourself. And they never would purge themselves of Egypt. And they never did live intentionally. They lived wandering in a wilderness for 40 years and then were destroyed. You know, a lot of people are like that today. But we need to specify what we have in your heart for God. Psalms 37, 4, it says he'll give you the desires of your heart. 16 and 3, we specify. How many of you know in Proverbs 16 and 3, it says, if we'll commit our works to the Lord, he will give us, he will establish our thoughts. Everybody say, commit my works to the Lord. We need to specify in our life where we're going and what we want God to help us with. Okay, I'm a preacher. That means that's my call now. What's my assignment? Every call has an assignment. Everybody has assignments. Your call, my calling is I can preach. I can be a pastor in Texas. I can be a pastor in Oklahoma. I can be a pastor in, in Louisiana. I can be a pastor in Minnesota. I can be a pastor anywhere in one sense. But my assignment is to come to Oskaloosa. And that's where I employ my gift. See, you, you, you need to know what your call is and what your assignment is. And when you understand your call, then your assignment makes sense. But, you know, you've got to commit it to the Lord. And it says in Proverbs 16.3, if we commit our thoughts to the Lord, if we commit our ways and works to the Lord, he will establish our thoughts. See, if you never commit it to God, if you never submit him to God, he has no obligation to guide you and direct you. This life of mine, this call of mine, Lord, I submit it to you. I commit my works, which is my calling, my preaching. I commit that to you. And when I did that, he established my thoughts and told me where to go and what to do. He became my senior partner in my life's calling. A lot of people just live life. I believe this. When you commit your ways to the Lord, your plans to the Lord, he will establish your thoughts. And there are plans that are based in desire, based in your heart, and he'll bring them to pass when we commit him to men for, commit them to him for his adjustment and his approval. You know, I commit my, my ways to him because I want him to adjust that and show me what I need to do. I want his approval. I want his partnership in what I'm doing. Amen. And it says, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord will direct his steps. First, I commit it to him. I get the approval from him. And then I begin to devise a way. And now that he's my senior partner, he'll guide my steps. Like Paul, when he was going to go to Bithynia, and when he was going to go to Asia, and he was going to go to Messiah, and he had a dream about a man in Macedonia who said, come over here. And the Holy Spirit forbid him from going to, I think it was five or six other places, and said, no. Don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. And he gave him a dream, go over there where the Macedonian man in that dream is beckoning unto you to come. But that wouldn't happen if he wouldn't have committed it to the Lord. God has no responsibility to guide you until you commit your, your plans to him. Because if he's not your senior partner, why do, he's not going to force himself and get involved with your business. You have to invite him into your business. Can I get an amen? Amen. That Proverbs 16, verse 3 and verse 9 are very powerful scriptures. Matter of fact, just open your Bibles. Let's go there. Mark those in your Bible. You will need to depend upon those your whole life. You need to get to know those verses of scripture very well for your life. You need to continually go back to those verses, and you need to continually meditate on those verses, and you will begin to understand how God wants to be in your life operating supernaturally. Proverbs 16, 3 and 9 have been two of the most helpful verses of Scripture. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Well, that's good, but you've got to go more than thoughts. 
Verse 9, a man's heart devises his way. There's your plans. But the Lord directs his steps. Because you've committed your works to the Lord, and because he establishes your thoughts, then you can, verse 9, you can write down or devise your plan or your way and have the Lord direct you and guide you through it. But until we do that, we're not living intentionally. I'm going to intentionally submit it to you, Lord. I'm going to intentionally ask you to tell me where I need adjustments. I'm going to ask you for your approval. And then I'm going to begin to write it down. And now that you're my senior partner, when I make a wrong step to the left or to the right, I'm expecting you to correct me and show me which way it is that I should go. That's living intentionally. See, in Job 22, it says, when you decree a thing, it'll be established for you, and he'll shine his light on your path. Decreeing a thing, writing vision down, like Habakkuk, that's living intentionally. How many of you know God gave a plan for the children of Israel? He said, go take the land. He goes, go check it out and then go take it. I don't care if there's giants. I don't care if there's walls. Intentionally, I'm telling you, go take the land. Don't go by circumstances if there's walls. Don't go by circumstances if there's giants. Don't go by those things that can arise in your life and let those derail you and get you on a wrong plan and path for your life. Because I am giving you something intentional. You have to intend to do this. You can't just wander around avoiding everything difficult. you got to make an intention. you got to write it down. you got to decree a thing. You've got to commit a thing. you got to decide upon a thing. you got to be intentional about a thing. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to wander. Somebody say amen. amen. Matthew 18, it says this, and this is a principle. He said that whatever we bind on earth, he'll bind in heaven. See, once we commit it to the Lord, once we get his approval, him establishing our thoughts, once we begin to write it down, he begins to direct our steps. Then Matthew 18, 18 makes sense. And it's the principle of what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What we loose on earth will be loose in heaven. When we decree, we bind and loose things. And God backs us up. In other words, it begins to be where you start doing things, God starts backing you up. Because you've already got commitment from him. If you commit it to him, you've already got approval from him. You've already got it written down. He's already directing your steps. And now whatever you do, he's going to make room for it to happen. Whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That sounds more like God's cooperating with me than I'm cooperating with God. No, when you first cooperate with God, he'll start cooperating with you. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. Whatever you bind in heaven. And you know, some people, and the parable of the talents really comes into play here, because he gave some, you know, one talent, another two talents, another three talents. And the one sat around waiting for direction and the others must have got approval and went out and they doubled their money. They doubled their talents. They doubled from two to four and from three to five, three to six, I believe it is. And they went out and they did something and God cooperated with them. But the one who sat on his rear end, he had his taken away and given to somebody else. You know, when you're little, you need to have a lot of instructions and you need to be told what to do. But when you get mature, a good worker who's been working someplace for 20 years doesn't need to be micromanaged. They can go out and create increase for the boss that he might not even thought of. Not that God wouldn't think of something that you do. But sometimes I believe that you come to a place in your life where you you start out just obeying God and he shows you what to do. But then you go out and he's going to see how much increase you're going to bring him. Somebody say amen. Isn't that what the parable of the talents is all about? And he's not going to give you every little step. He's going to say, I approve your plan. Now we're going to see whose plan produces the most fruit. But the one who's timid and afraid and won't do anything, doesn't have any intentionality, doesn't go out. He says, you're wicked. I'm going to take away what you have. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Amen. Amen. God wants us to walk in everything that he has. When we begin to live intentionally, think how much more you might be a success in your business if you wrote things down, had plans, and had goals, and set dates for those goals to be met. 
Think how much more you might go up the ladder at work if you had goals. Sometimes you say, well, whatever the Lord wants, he'll bring it to pass. I'm going to tell you this morning, that is not true. What the Lord wants doesn't always come to pass because he desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But my Bible says many will be deceived and go on the broad road to destruction instead of the narrow road to life. It is not true that you just abdicate all responsibility to God. You have to live intentionally doing what God says as a general admonition from the scriptures and begin to begin to get a plan and plan your work and work your plan and commit it to God and it's not presumption because God will say don't do that if, if you start getting off God will say don't do that can I get an amen? amen and he'll direct you a different way but his biggest problem is getting all the parked cars moving so he can begin to steer them yeah. Come on. somebody say amen. amen how many have ever done bumper cars and they all come to a stop when they turn the electricity down. Yeah. How many of you know none of those cars go anywhere? Yeah. And they can't turn right or left until they turn on the electricity and all the bumper cars begin moving again. Then you can start steering again. Sometimes I think churches are like a whole big huge room full of bumper cars stopped. Yeah. And nobody's moving so nobody's getting guided. Nobody's getting led because they aren't taking the first step. How many of you know he had to step, Peter had to step out of the boat first for the water to respond? And can you, how many of you know they had to step in to the Red Sea first before the, the waves started to part? Yes. How many of you know when they crossed the Jordan, they had to walk in and they went in a ways before it would part? How many of you know there's going to have to be a few, few steps in faith before God grabs hold and begins to support you? Yeah. Well, that's what it means to take your plan and begin to go forward. And you need to go ahead and begin to plan some things for God, and not be overly careful. So, last thing I want to say is this. Is we need to identify, we need to qualify, we need to specify to God what we want to do. And then we need to verify, and we've kind of already talked about that, where Paul decided to go many places, and God had to say, nope, nope, nope. And God would clarify and verify, this is what you're supposed to do. I believe that he gets so excited and so happy when we just start doing something by faith. I'm more than happy to guide. I'm more than I'm more than happy to guide, help guide them if they would just get moving. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, believe for somebody to lead to the Lord and to bring to church, but take a step towards somebody sometime. Go out and do something that will cause you to come into contact with somebody. God will. He says God promises to direct our paths it says the steps of a good man are ordered of the lord the steps of a good man are ordered of the lord some of the people thought it says the standing still of a good man is ordered of the lord oh wait a minute the steps you know what steps implies that they're walking towards something the steps of a good man are ordered of the lord oh this way the steps I'm just standing in faith. Well, brother, you're going to stand there forever. I'm standing on the word. Well, no, the steps of a good man. How many of you know you got to be stepping to have steps of a good man or order of the Lord? Until you start doing something, you're not in faith. Until you start doing something. Well, I don't have a word yet. Well, I think you do go into all the world and preach the gospel. I think you do have a word. Go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. And begin to step. The paths, it talks about, thy, a lamp is a, thy word is a lamp unto thy path and a light unto thy feet. You see, there's a lamp on the path, not just your feet. So we need to keep walking forward. Somebody stand up. Let's all stand up, and we're going to just close today. How many of you want to live more intentionally? I hope this made sense to you. Did this make sense to anybody today? So we got to identify what our gift and calling is. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life, God? You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. And then qualify. 
Get cleaned up. Get all cleaned up. Now you do God's work. Clean yourself up. That's not somebody else's responsibility. That's totally squarely resting on your shoulders. As soon as you get busy at it, the Holy Ghost will come alongside and help you. Amen. So, number one, identify. And then qualify. Then begin to specify. Write it down. Commit thy works to the Lord. Lord, I want to do this. I want to commit it to you. I want to go do this. It says that a man makes his plans. I want to write it down. And the Lord will begin to direct your steps. Specify. Speak it. Write it. Start doing it. Specify. And he will begin to clarify when you start walking what it is you're supposed to do. Because that's faith. Until you get out of the boat and start walking, you're really not in faith yet. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's let's have a a confession this morning. How many of you want to have a more intentional life? I don't care if it's business. It doesn't have to be just ministry. It's everything. It's everything. Intentionally raise your family the right way. Have some plans. Have some committing to the Lord. It can be your job. It can be your family. It can be your finances. It should be your ministry. It should be your soul winning more than anything else. Can I get an amen? amen. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, come I come to you today and I ask you help me identify. I ask that you help me to qualify. I ask you help me to specify and that you would clarify the call on my life. I commit to you now a life of intentionality. I thank you that you've given us the intentional life of walking in your spirit, intentionally walking in your word, intentionally walking by vision, by my calling, by my gifting. And Father, I thank you today that I'm going to change I'm going to become cognitive of this. I'm going to be thoughtful to do these things. Help me with your grace now. I commit it now. Establish my thoughts. I decree it. Shine your light on the path for my steps to be ordered of the Lord. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, you can be dismissed in Jesus' name.